Good morning. I greet you this morning in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I want to begin this morning by asking you to do something that we don't do that often. But in order to set the tone for this message today, I'd like for you to get your Bibles, find your apps. Um, this, I'm going to ask us to read a scripture together, read a couple of verses together. <clears throat> These verses will not be on the screen. So if you would, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't have your device, if you would get near someone that does, I don't think they will mind sharing with you. We're going to read the first five verses of Genesis 1. I'd like for us to read this out loud. It does not matter what version you have. The Lord can sort all of that out. And I would ask us to stand, if you would. Um, so just to give a reference here, so you know when we're going to end, so we won't have an embarrassing moments of somebody going on down past. We're going to end at verse number five. That will be right when, no, I'm sorry, verse number eight, from one to verse eight. That will be the, the um, huh, no, I want to go to five, because I want to go to the first day. We're going to end on the first day. So that will be verse 5 from 1 to 5. So is everybody ready? Let's read. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that it was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Before you take your seats, would you pray with me? Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the illumination it gives to our heart and to our feet. Father, I pray that you will reveal truth to us through the word that we have just read and the words that we will here in this message. Father, I pray that you will allow me to focus to the point where I can deliver this message as you would have it. Father, I pray for everyone that's standing and listening, that their hearts will be open, ears open, that they may receive a word from you on this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. This morning, we are going to dive right into the last message in our series that we call fake news and I know many of you have heard this over and over again this is the eighth week of it but there may be a couple that hadn't been here so I'll just quickly say we fake news of course was not the political news it's not the latest thing that we see on CNN or Fox or or MSNBC I think I covered them all but yet, but rather we were talking about misconceptions and debunking misconceptions about Christianity now, I, I really, I mean, we went through it. We started April 8th. We had Judge Not, then Love is Acceptance, Waiting on Heaven. The devil made me do it. Then we went further to No More Suffering. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Last week, Promise of Prosperity. Now, I just want to say to you that the reason we chose to do this is because we felt like there were common-held um, beliefs mostly from non-believers about Christianity that we wanted to just address. 
But I don't know about, about you, but along the way, some of my biases got kind of shook as well as I began to hear these messages along the way. And today is going to be one of those days, I believe, that God's going to speak to all of us because this particular subject is one that you picked uh, because we intentionally left the last one just ready for you to decide which message you want to hear. In some kind of way, I volunteered for it, and I, I don't know how that happened, but I did. When it came down to the last three, I'm like, oh my gracious, you know, I don't have, I don't, I don't know nothing about either one of those, you know. And so I said, well, I know which one they're going to pick. I know which one they're going to pick. And lo and behold, the one I thought was not the one that won. Because today's message is hashtag religion rules over science. Religion rules over science. Now, I would say that for, for all of you that voted for this, and I heard somebody confess to me back in there, they voted 20 times for this, and I want to thank that person and all of you for voting for this. And I imagine that for some of you that voted for this, you are ready to hear all about the um, debate between evolution and creationism. I'm sorry, you're going to be disappointed. That is not the way this message is going to go. I believe the Lord wants to speak to us about something entirely different. It's related, but it's going to be one that's going to challenge each and every one of us here in our, in our own unique way. The reason I say that is because there's a question behind this hashtag. By the way, I believe that just like we have religion rules over science, there's another hashtag that we could, simply, that we could have too. Because there's some people, maybe some in this room, that would rather go with science rules over religion. Especially people maybe not connected with us because that's the great debate. Is it that religion rules over science or is does science rules over religion? And I would say to you, that's not the issue really. There's a question behind that hashtag that really I feel like the Lord is impressed upon my heart we need to address. And that question is, in your heart, is there a conflict between religion and science? In your heart, is there a conflict between religion and science? When we read that scripture a minute ago, what do you do with that? What's your conversations like around that subject? Are you free to talk about it with your Christian friends and with your non-believers? Or do you shy away from one group or another because you have a certain way you feel about this and you really don't want to entertain nothing different from anyone else. That's why I believe God wants to put his finger on this morning. We have a few minutes to do this, but I want to start out to just kind of set the tone. Heard this story that I like to tell. Uh, teachers just got out, well, uh, maybe not all teachers, but school just ended last week. How many teachers are glad to be on summer break? Any teachers in the room? Okay. Any elementary teachers in the room? Element? Okay. This is the old. Oh, boy, I'll tell you, hit a nerve over there. Well, you might appreciate this, Lois. This story is about a teacher who was giving her second grade students a lesson in science. And uh, this is what she did, like a good second grade teacher. She had an object lesson. She had a magnet. She had, some, um, she had some nails and other pieces of metal. And she demonstrated how the magnet would pick up those nails and other pieces of metal you know, by, by the energy of mag, you know, by magnetism. So now she's ready for to test her students. Second grade now. So she asked the question to see if they understood. In a typical second grade teacher fashion, 
She says, okay, now my name begins with the letter M, and I pick up things. What am I? And little Johnny, is always little Johnny in stories like this. I don't know Johnny. I'll, it's always little Johnny. Little Johnny, oh, oh, I know, I know, I know. She looked at little Johnny. Yes, Johnny. Johnny raised his hand, got up, looked up proudly, said, you are a mother. <laughs> Stay with her. you get it later on. It's a cute story, but it illustrates that sometimes there are several correct answers to a question. You see, the word magnet begins with the M, and magnet picks up things. And in little Johnny's mind, mother begins with the M, and mother also picks up things. So that's the reason why he said that. This question that we have, is there a conflict between religion and science? I can tell you we can answer that question, yes. And we can also answer that question, no. Well, how could we have two answers so drastically different to the same question? I'm glad you asked. Hang with me for a few minutes, and I think it'll become clear to you before we finish. But there's two things that I need to get out of the way before I go any further. The first one, the first one is about this word that we use in religion. I need to clarify something for you. When we're saying religion, when I'm using the word religion here, I need you to understand very clearly I'm referring to Christianity, a biblical worldview. That's important in this conversation because I might use words like coexist or is compatible with, and I don't want any confusion in here, all right? I'm talking about Christianity, a biblical worldview. Y'all understand what I'm saying here? You know, you know, you know what to do there. Say something back so I understand you. All right, good, good. Y'all know what to do. Don't, don't do that with me now, okay? Now, l- let me tell you why that's important. Because there, there's, there are a lot of world religions. Yes? There are different world religions. But I want to make sure and specify we're talking about Christianity. We're talking about a biblical worldview. That's how I'm framing this. This is where I'm coming from. Because Christianity is unique. I want to explain myself there. You know, we read Genesis 1. But if you have, if you got time, turn to John 1. John 1, we, we see John did this creation story a little different. He said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Christianity is unique. Let me, let me explain it this way. Uh, anybody ever seen the movie or, or the play or been in the play or witnessed the play, Romeo and Juliet? Show of hands if you have. Read it? How many times? Okay, who's the author of it? Shakespeare. Now, if I gave a student who never was exposed to this a copy of Romeo and Juliet, there'll be nothing in what they read that will reveal the author of it is William Shakespeare. You know what I mean? William Shakespeare created it, but he's not in it. He's separate from it. The only way that that person would know that William Shakespeare had anything to do with it is if William Shakespeare wrote himself into the play. And if he wrote himself a character in the play, being himself, and he introduced himself to everyone else that's in the, in the play, then they would know about William Shakespeare. Y'all get what I'm saying? Well, it's the same, the same thing about Christianity. See, the author of this world wrote himself into the narrative. He wrote himself into the narrative by way of his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ introduced himself to all that he came in contact with as a way of 
being God himself on earth with people in order to redeem them back to himself. That's what makes Christianity unique. It is different from any other world, any other religion. Any other religion in that itself, that what I just shared. For some of us, we might need to go tell somebody that, or we might need to, to, to hold on to it for ourselves. Because I believe that maybe one person in here has been wrestling with this. What makes this thing so different from all the rest? That what I just shared is the difference. See, our God wrote himself into our story. And he came in to be with us. You know, that's what we call, you know, it's the difference between God transcendent and God imminent. Transcendent means, you know, he wrote, he created, he created everything. So if he created everything and he, he formed it all, he was outside of it. But yet because he was re- willing to write himself into the story, he became imminent because he came close to us. That's what makes this such a wonderful, powerful religion and a God that we serve. John went further down in John 1.14. He said it like this, the word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's an important thing that we need to understand and we need to hold on to as we keep going down this road on this journey this morning. The other thing I want to deal with is science. What do we mean by that? Science. Well, the definition of it is simply the intellectual and practical activity encompassing the systematic study of the structure and behavior of the physical and natural world through observation and experiment. That's too many words for an old country boy like me. I love it. I kept researching. I found a theologian that said it just like this. You know, he said, you know what science is? You know what science is? That's people just studying God's creation. That's science. I believe everybody, all of us can fit in that, right? We're just studying God's creation. I'm a scientist. You are a scientist. You are a scientist. We are all scientists. Do you accept that role? Come on, explain it like that. We are all scientists. I'm going somewhere with this now. I'm going somewhere with this. But you know, we have a problem. We have a problem. Because I think we don't really, I could tell by the reaction of everybody that I don't know if you really buy into the fact that you are a scientist. But I believe that I could show you real quickly that God wrote this into the story as well. Go back to Genesis. Go back to Genesis and look at verse number 28. See, after he made man and woman, the Bible says that he blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. He gave them a mandate. That mandate we still have today. And you know what? We cannot fulfill that mandate unless we study his creation. Because we've been tasked, we've been, we've been commanded to. We've been, to, we've been commanded to be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. I won't go through all the the, the different aspects of science that's involved in that, but do you get the picture? Can y'all see what's happening here? This is what God told us to do. He told Adam and Eve to do so. Therefore, once again, do you accept your role? You are a scientist. You study God's creation. Can I get an amen right there? All right, I just make sure I'm with you. Y'all with me now. But then as we go further, 
This is something that's common to all of us. And this is the reason why some of us struggle with this whole concept called original sin. Because when we go to Genesis 3, 6, and, and, and I, I know I'm, I'm cutting to the chase on some of these because I trust, I know you, I, I'm looking at you. It's only a few of you I don't recognize, but the rest of y'all, I know y'all been here for a while, so y'all know these stories real well. But when, when Genesis 3 comes along, look what happened in verse number 6. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. That's key right there. Also desirable for gaining wisdom. Look at that. Also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. The point I'm making here is, even though they were in a place that was perfect, where all needs met, all they had to do was tend to it, feel it like God had told them to do, she got tempted because she had this desire for wisdom. And I would say, I would go as far as to say is we're still struggling with that whole thing, even though my na- your name is not, my name is not Adam and yours might not be Eve. That sin nature is still in us to where we, sometimes we want to be in control ourselves. We want to replace him on the throne in our hearts. We figure out we know what's best. My way is a better way. You know, if that doesn't convince you, I invite you to just turn over a couple of pages over to Genesis 11, chapter 4. You remember the story of Babel? I, I, you know, as I was studying for this, I kept thinking about Babel. I said, why in the world am I thinking about Babel in something like this? And I got to reading it and I said, there it is again. This is a story of all of those that were gathered in Shinar, on the plains of Shinar, and they decided to do this great project. Y'all remember? And, and I, I might need to, well, let me just go to it. Verse number four. Look what it says. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. You catch it? So that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we, be, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. You remember God's response to that? I think we need to turn there and look at that just for a second. Didn't plan to do this, but it's so key, so important. Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. One commentary I read said, that's so, that's so crucial there because God came down because there was no way they were getting up to where he was, even though in their mind they thought he, that they were. Think about that for a second. How many times have we launched out in something thinking that we had the power ourselves to complete it and God had to come and confuse us to keep us from our own crazy selves I know y'all have never done anything like that so the point I'm making is is that yes we you know it is all right for us to engage our minds as well as our 
religion in understanding and pursuing the ways of God. And as we, and I'm going to say right here, one of the reasons why this is such a conflict is one of two reasons. Either, either we are engaging our minds and depending on our minds only, or on the other side of the coin, we're resisting that and resisting anyone to come to us with anything of intelligence because we believe, like, that's just, I don't understand that. So I'm not going to accept that. I'm not going to entertain that. And my question to us is, where are we blocking out the grace of God in either one of those scenarios? Where are we missing out on a God that can do immeasurably more than anything that we can hope for or imagine? Because I think it ought to go this way. Now, I don't know why you think that way. Maybe because mom and them thought that way. I don't know. I don't want to go down that road. Okay, all right. Well, but, but all right, you might be asking, okay, well, okay, you, you go into the scientist thing. I know where you're going, but, you know, these scientists, I just give me the creeps. Can I tell you, scientists have been around since, since, since the beginning. I've told you already how, what, 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 what God told them to do, what he mandated them to do, but I'll go one better. People like Copernicus, Galileo, Newton, Klepper. All of these scientists were people of deep personal faith and conviction. I just want to talk about two of them real quick. Copernicus lived from 1473 to 1543. He laid the foundations for modern astronomy. What I'm getting ready to show you right now is how conflicts happen between science and religion. And we're going to see where both sides had something to do with the conflict. So for Copernicus, he concluded that the sun was the center of the universe. This was considered heresy at the time because scientists before him, even though they weren't as sophisticated as maybe we are today, that's one of the other reasons why we reject stuff because I'm just so sophisticated and I got a lot of knowledge and you don't know what you're talking. Well, okay. But, but at that time, you know, y- y'all know, y- y'all been to school. Maybe it was a couple of days ago, but y'all been. Let me refresh your memory. They thought then that the world was flat. And if you walk far enough, you just drop over on the other side. They thought that the, the, the earth was the center of the universe. And that the earth was stationary. You know why they thought that? Uh, in some of my readings, uh, one, one commentator, you know, he, 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 he presented a, something, a, a, a thought. He said it was based on the church's belief. In Psalms 104, verses 1 and 5, it says this, O Lord my God, thou art great indeed. Thou fixed the earth upon its foundation not to be moved forever. And they took that verse and they made a whole theory out of it, a whole truth in their mind. So when Copernicus came up with this because he was searching, he was studying God's creation, and he came up with this thing saying, well, wait a minute, I believe that the earth rotates actually he had to keep that to himself for 30 years because he was fearful that the church would persecute him by the way he described God as the best and most orderly workman of all behind him was Galileo remember him that a yes would do okay good he was a mathematician a physicist and astronomer 
Galileo began where Copernicus left off. And his claim was a little stronger. And the church's, rea church's reaction was even stronger too. I don't know if you remember this. But Galileo was threatened with torture if he did not recant this heresy about the earth being the center, about the sun being the center of the universe. They were going to kill him. The Pope, Pope Urban VIII, personally gave the order. Galileo was 70 years old, old at the time. And he told him that he would be tortured if he did not recant that story. Well, Galileo, he just simply stopped saying it. But you know what? Today we think nothing of it. It's like, what could have those people been thinking? How could they not see? How could they not have seen? And Galileo, you know, he had a telescope. And, and, and you know, another thing is, you know, I, I understand from some people believe, and there's different theories on this, different, you know, the thing about it, what none of us there. So a lot of it's speculation. But there was one person speculated that, you know, he even offered to show them through the telescope, but they refused to look because they were dead set in their ways. Hmm. He once said there are two big books, the book of nature and the book of the supernatural, the Bible. Okay, so these were great men of faith. They formed the way for modern scientific thinking. All right, let's get a little challenging more, get, get a little bit more challenging here. Let's just talk a little bit more about what we mean by science and religion and how each of them has their own realms and their own limits. Because conflict results when either of these realms, they get outside of their realms or their limits. Science, science is a means to discover the underlying laws which govern the natural world using empirically generated data as well as theories and models to explain that data. Science is a process. It's not necessarily a series of facts. It's a process. Why do I say process? Because the way it works is somebody come up with a hypothesis or a theory and by which they can explain a natural phenomenon. And then the process goes like this. They repeat experiments. The hypothesis is tested. And if the hypothesis is supported by a certain result enough times, then it's considered what? proven. But it doesn't stop there because any scientific theory is only one experiment away from falsification. So even though they go through all of this, they take this time and they do these tests and they ask other people and they have people examine it, they just don't rush out. Any wise scientist wouldn't rush out and just declare this is the law, this is the way because they have to wait to see if there's any challenges that goes along. Good science stays in the realm of theory until it is undoubtedly proven. Bad science jumps to conclusions and represents them as facts. Science, science simply provides us with physical explanations of physical phenomena. Science deals with what we can see what we can touch, what we can measure. 
Y'all follow what I'm saying? What we can calculate, you know, math and, and physics, what we can determine by the, by the knowledge that we have. And it's not bad. There's nothing wrong with it. The fact of the matter is good at answering certain questions and very bad at answering others. Let me tell you the kind of questions that science is good at answering. Where? When? How? How many? If you want to answer these, answer to these questions, science is your ticket. But let me tell you what science cannot answer. Science can't do anything with origin. Where did I come from? Meaning, what gives my life meaning? Morality, how do I uh, differentiate between good and evil? Destination, what happens when I die? Now you're looking like that's real boring material. Let me see if I can bring it home to you a little bit. A couple days ago, I was searching for my wife for a, a, a birthday present. I go through this agonizing time every year. It comes the same time every year. I don't know why I do this, but I did. My daughter, you know, she's my ace, you know, she's she my ace boom comb. I call her, baby, what you think? She'd give me some suggestions, but she didn't have nothing this time. Some kind of, I, I, was, I was a couple of days early now. I wasn't on the day of it. But all of a sudden I thought, I think I'm going to get her one of those echoes. Y'all know these things? Echoes. And the salesman talked me into getting two. He said, you need to get the echo and the little one too because you need something to talk to. And I fell for it. I took it home. It sat on the dresser for about three days because neither I nor she knew how to set it up. <laughs> so we had to wait for our daughter to come in. She set it up. Her and her boyfriend came over. They set it all up. And it's a fascinating. Anybody have one of these? Show of hands. If you don't, let me tell you, you might not want to get one out there tell you this. For about three hours, we just had the best fun. My daughter and my wife just, you know, Alexa, and it'll come on, you know. What's the capital of Mississippi? Capital of Mississippi is Jackson. How far is it, Jackson? Tell you how far it is. How long would it take to get there? Tell you how long it take to get there. I'm listening. I'm trying to watch a game on TV. I'm getting kind of, but I'm listening. Because it was kind of entertaining. Questions just went on and on and on. How do you make an apple pie? Recipe for apple pie is blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm like, man, this thing is something else. Then all of a sudden in the middle of my daughter said, why am I here? And Alexa said, confused. Do not know the answer to that question. Now, when it started answering that question, I'm going to take that thing and throw it out the door. But, <laughs> but my point is, my point is science answers some questions and is incapable of answering others, that is the role of religion to answer those questions about origin, meaning, morality, destination. Only religion can answer those questions. So I said most scientists, early scientists were Christians, but why do we have such a conflict between science and religion today? Glad you asked again. A gentleman by the name of Christian Smith wrote a book back in 2003 called The Secular Revolution. Listen to what he says. He said the conflict model of the relationship of science to religion was a deliberate exaggeration used by both scientists and educational leaders at the end of the 19th century to undermine the church's control of their institutions and to increase their own 
cultural power. We see this play out in our places of higher learning today. We see this playing out in our places of government today to where there's been an intentional effort, intentional effort to undermine the church's control. They phrase it control, I believe it's just they didn't want the church's influence because they wanted the power to do, to think what they wanted. You know, that's one of the challenges of being a parent of a teenager that's graduated from high school going off to college. Isn't it not? Is it not? We worry that they're going to get exposed to some professor or some class or some group that cuts anything about God out. This cultural strategy has led to people that call themselves new atheists. Dawkins, Hitchens, Dennett, Harris, some of their last names. I don't want to get too far into that because we're not trying to put anybody out on blast. But these people, these new atheists, they play a different game. They play a different game. This is the kind of stuff they say. They seem like too stupid to understand science. Try religion. This is the kind of stuff they say. It's not an issue of religion versus science. It's an issue of dangerous magical thinking versus reality. They're a small group. They're not a large group, but they are vocal. They're vocal, and they, you, can, you, can, you can go home today and YouTube anything about these atheists. Just, just Google it, and you will see that they are all over the country having debates, talking with people, because they are pushing this agenda that we see right now. So what do we do with this? Do we just put our head in the sand? Because we don't know enough, we think, to challenge this kind of thinking? Or do we just ignore it and think it's going to go away? Or maybe do we buy into it and say, you know what? They have a point. This is what the challenge is for each one of us in this room. Paul, I believe, writes, and what he wrote in Romans 1, 18 through 23, really pertains to this whole thing that we're talking about right now. I have the message paraphrase on the screen. Let me read it to us. But God's angry displeasure erupts as acts of human mistrust and wrongdoing and lying accumulate. As people try to put a shroud over truth. But the basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes as such can't see. Eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of his divine being. So nobody has a good excuse. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well, but when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. 
They traded the glory of God who holds the whole world in his hands for cheap figurines you can buy at any roadside stand. Fortunately, there are a lot of scientists that have a Christian worldview. I, I would say that, have a religious worldview. I, I, I want to be fair about that. A 2005 survey, I know it's kind of old, but there was a survey done of scientists at top research universities. They found that more than 48% had a religious affiliation. One of them is a man by the name of Francis Collins. He is currently the director of the National Institute of Health. His quote is this, one of the greatest tragedies of our time is this impression that has been created that science and religion have to be at war. He believes that you can do both and not violate your belief, not sell out. We can use our mind and we can also look into the spirit world and receive revelation from God through the scriptures. We can do both. We should, be do, we should do both. We're intelligent people. God gave us a mind to use. I'm going to say something that's going to be kind of disturbing to some, but I just feel the Lord wants this, wants this to be said. Some of the things that scientists are presenting to us we need to kind of ungrip our hands and just consider, could there be any validity to this? I dare not say in what area or another. I let the Holy Spirit tell you that. We don't have to be discouraged. We have evidence that we can share. First, there's our own testimony of what Jesus has done in our life. Amen. We can share that. That is the power of what Jesus would do. That's the unknown. That's the things that we can't see, that we can't explain. I mean, I know I got some brothers and sisters in here. If you told your story right now, people would be saying, man, how in the world? It's unexplainable. We don't have to be discouraged. We can point people to his creation. This planet in which we live. Did you know that our earth is tilted from an upright position at 23 and a half degree inclination? This tilt provides for a season variation that allows such a wide variety of crops to feed life. It has been estimated that about half of the earth's surface will become uninhabitable without the tilt of the earth. Who tilted the earth and who holds it there? It's the God that we serve. And there's nothing wrong with the people that spent the time and the effort to determine that because as they did that, it just revealed the God that we serve. I want to end this time, and I need to set this up because I want us to end in worship. The band is going to come, the praise team is going to come back out. Because my response to this is just to worship. Have you ever been in a place where you see science? You see science and the, and the love of God in one place? I tell you the last time I was there, 
It was in a, it was in a NICU uh, unit at the local hospital. I, I was sent there. I was asked to go there to visit one of, our, uh, one of the children of one of our members who had a baby way early, way early. And I walked in that room. I had never been in one before. And science and religion converged right there in front of me. Have you ever been in one? I mean, this baby was so small, I could hold that baby in the palm of my hand. Yet they had tubes running to that baby. I was amazed. How in the world did they create science? Science. How did they figure this out? How did they do this? There were tubes. There were, there were monitors that fit this little baby that fit in the palm of my hand. And yet when I was in there, I could help. I could do nothing but praise God. Because with all that that they done, still, there was a God at work per, having a purpose for this young child that they didn't know if we'd make it or we'd die. Louis Giglio did something back in 2011 at the Desiring God Conference. And I want to set this up real quick, and the band is going to come, and we're going to get ready to close out. But I, I want to set us up for just worshiping, because that should be our response. Our response when we just realize just how awesome, how powerful, how wonderful, how close, but yet how much in charge our God really is. It ought to call us, it ought to cause us to just sing praises to his holy name. If you would, turn your Bibles to Psalm 148. Psalm 148, that's, a, that's a, next to the last psalm. And in Psalm 148, the writer writes these words, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you heavenly, he you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for at his command they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He issued a decree that would never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all ocean depths. Lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds and do, that do his bidding. Your mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young men and women, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord. What he's describing here is all of creation has the ability to praise the Lord. And when we rise and we lift our voices, we're joining in with the stars out in heaven as well as the wells that's running that's under the ocean. Everything is praising the Lord. What you're going to watch, it's called a mashup. Giglio at this conference got someone to, to record, record what the stars, what the stars sounded like. There were stars that were, that were thousand light years away that, that, re, that, that revolved on its axis 11 times a second. There was another star, a, a galaxy, a system called 47 Tuck that was six, 16,700 light years away. And, and they recorded it. You know, we have the technology to do this. We have the mind to be able to do it. And they recorded it. And he put it, he had a little iPad, and he just captured these sounds along with the whales that he had seen personally outside the Hawaiian Islands. And he took all these sounds, 
and, and by, by, by the, with the help of somebody that was a lot smarter than him and a whole lot smarter than me, they put these sounds together on his iPad, and they played them through the sound system. That's what we're getting ready to see. Can you imagine what it is like for all of creation to be praising the Lord? It'll make us want to sing praises to the Lord. I want to invite you to stand as you watch this. And I just want to let the Lord just do what he wants to do in this place. Because we're about finished here now. But listen to this. Watch this. And see just, just how magnificent. Two pulsars slowed down and put in sync with each other. It's not a real groovy crowd, I know, but... I, I know where I am, but it's kind of groovy if you hear it. And some of you want to nod a little bit, but you don't know if that's allowed at a reform meeting. And so... Um, you just do as the spirit leads. But isn't that cool? That's just two pulsars. And so we're going to put the, uh, the millisecond guys in there. The ones you just heard. Here they come. need it really clear like what are they singing and we tried this and you just got to know this is unedited we just dropped this on and this is what happened this is what they might be singing
meet you here to pray. Maybe you realize for the first time that you've been holding back. That you've been letting something that you've been holding so tight onto you, tight, so tightly to, prevent you from being able to express worship to the Lord freely. Maybe that's you. Maybe, maybe when I went through that whole thing about what makes Christianity unique, you realize for the first time, you know what, now I understand. And now I'm ready to fully surrender to Lord Jesus Christ. Or maybe you just want to join in with the band. This is, we, this is going to be our closing song. This is it. This is going to be our benediction. If you need prayer, come pray. I said, just come pray. But let's, let's worship the Lord one more time before we leave here. And let's think about, we join the stars in heaven. We join in all the animals all around the world, the fish in the sea, everything that has breath. We're joining with them in praise to our awesome.